This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. This is Shirley Halpern, Executive Editor of Music for Variety, and my guest today is Tom Windish, the Head of Business Development and A&R for the talent agency Wasserman Music, where his clients include the artists Lord, The XX, and Coachella headliner Billie Eilish. Like the most seasoned of booking agents, Tom got his start while still in college. Binghamton, New York to be exact. That's where he first caught the bug for buzzing bands that were sort of left of center. Upon graduating, he had a short-lived internship at William Morris, where he would bug the agents to show him the ropes. It's why Tom would name his own company, Bug, launched a little over 30 years ago as the indie rock scene was exploding. In fact, the word indie is practically baked into Tom's last name, which makes his career track seem practically predestined. Circumstances led him to Chicago, where he would build a formidable roster of bands most people had never heard of, and he would scale up to include dozens more. That led to gaining the attention of the budding Midwest booking agency Billions, which took Tom under its wing from 1997 to 2004. For the next 13 years, Tom called the Windish Agency home. He operated a lean and mean machine that looked after hundreds of artists, but it was his own skills as a talent scout, and being in the right place at the right time, that resulted in identifying the singular talent that is Billie Eilish. As Billie and other clients got more popular, competing agencies, he says, were all trying to steal them. The solution, as Tom Windish saw it, was to align with a bigger entity. 
He chose Paradigm in 2017, as it was absorbing several small to mid-size indies like his own, among them the firms Little Big Man, AM Only, Coda, and X-Ray Touring, which brought to the roster such touring giants as Ed Sheeran, Coldplay, David Guetta, and Fish, among many, many more. Not long after arriving at Paradigm, Tom Windish marveled at the health of his industry. Little did he know what was coming in the form of COVID. The pandemic not only disrupted touring in its physical form, it turned the business of live music upside down. All agencies were impacted, but Paradigm in particular lost its financial footing and began exploring a merger or a sale. The buyer would turn out to be Casey Wasserman, grandson of Lou Wasserman, who was among Hollywood's founding fathers, working for over eight decades to completely reshape entertainment. The deal for Paradigm closed in March 2021, and the agency was rechristened Wasserman Music. Not surprisingly, Tom was well-read on the Wasserman dynasty, and it's proven to be an asset as he and his new boss navigate the post-COVID landscape, passing on that guidance to his artists. As Tom Windish prepares to fly from his home base of New York to Indio, California for Coachella, where he has multiple acts on the bill, he cautiously exhales while recounting the routing and supply chain problems COVID has wrought, how Billie Eilish's live career progressed methodically despite second guessing by his peers, and what he's learned from decades spent directing artists on the road. We pick up Tom's story in Chicago in the early 90s. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's Tom Windish. So Tom Windish, thanks so much for being on Strictly Business. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> the, the indie rock music scene in Chicago at that time, this was like 90 something, 95, 94, was great. Yeah. Touch and go records, thrill jockey, drag city. Uncle Tupelo and Wilco. Uncle Tupelo. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up like meeting tons of people. Everyone was super nice, very supportive of each other. Everyone was saying you should move here. I think maybe I was living with my parents at the time because I was broke. I was spending all the money I made on the booking on the phone bill, like literally. And he said, you can live up above the club. He lived above the club too, but you can live in this other one bedroom or something or studio for 150 bucks a month. So I then went over to Lounge Axe and met the people who owned that place, Sue Miller and this woman, Julia. And those two clubs were, they hated each other, they were rivals. They were trying to book the same bands. They'd get really upset with you if you booked your band at the other club. And they took me out to dinner. I said, I'm thinking about moving here. Said, oh, really? Yeah. I think I might live above the empty bottle. He said I could live there for $150. And they were like, Screw that. You can live above our club for a hundred bucks a month, utilities included. <laughs> <laughs> and I drove out in January, three weeks later, like my car full of stuff, basically like a file cabinet and a dot matrix printer and an old Macintosh SE, this big cube computer thing. And then I lived about, I mean, this was not really an apartment. It was like I don't know what you describe it as a, a room, I had four <laughs> walls. My kitchen was in a bathroom. The rent was great. And I lived above this club and, and I never thought twice about like, this is a dump. This is awful. awful. I was in heaven. 
Wow. You must have yeah. seen so many amazing shows. I did. I mean, talk about Uncle Tupelo. This is when Jeff Tweedy was playing there solo all the time and was dating or engaged to Sue Miller. They ended up getting married at the club when I lived there. It was like the one time that I had to like go away for a while because they like <laughs> used my room as like dressing as like area a staging area. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to the wedding and everything. It was fantastic. And then, you know, like probably six months after I got to Chicago, Botch from Billions called me up and asked if I'd be interested in joining Billions. Tell, tell me about him because the listeners of this podcast are definitely not familiar with these characters. So describe him. Okay. Well, he booked uh, Pavement and John Spencer Blues Explosion and loads of bands on Touch and Go and was a legend and... I mean, he just had one of the best independent booking agencies in the country and was on the up and up. The Jesus Lizard was another band and they were all like doing really well. I had so much respect for him. I was like afraid of him. So I kind of worshiped this guy. Hey, we worked out a deal. I went and worked there and it was great. Learned a lot. So when did you form your own agency? Um, I think I was at Billions six or seven years, something like that, maybe a little more. And I had a little roster of, 30 or so artists. I remember I put it up. There was like one page on the, the, the web. website. Yeah. I have like a link to that somewhere or something. It's pretty funny. I think there was like a spelling error on it. <laughs> <laughs> one of the bands was spelled wrong for a minute. But yeah. It was a long time ago. I, I, my office was the second bedroom of my condo and I had an employee. That was the main thing. Like the main reason I wanted to start my own thing was because I didn't have an assistant and I was booking a lot of bands and doing a lot of the contracts and stuff myself. And I thought if I have an assistant, I could book more shows. I was there for like eight or 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, quite a while. It was great. I'm really glad that I started things there and not New York and LA. Why do you say that? I didn't really have like a, a handle at all on what was going on in New York and LA with you know, this hot band and that hot band. But it, I'm happy that I wasn't comparing myself to others and losing out on things to others. We really carved our own lane. I would say probably other people in the business probably hadn't even heard of a lot of the stuff that we were signing. Godspeed, you Black Emperor, Low. We signed Diplo early on. I was doing a lot of electronic stuff too. A lot of people on Warp Records, like Apex Twin, really never played, but Square Pusher, Autacker, right. this group Cold Cut, who started a label called Ninja Tune, Kid Koala, Amon Tobin, Saint Germain, or Saint Germain. So like electronic live, which hardly anyone was booking that before, other mm -hmm. than Jerry Gerard. And his was more mainstream live electronic stuff and DJs, and ours was like quite underground. They would sell, some of them would sell 100 tickets, 200 tickets. Not, not very big. And then when streaming happened, it was like someone turned a floodlight onto these things. Like before, a lot of these records, you just couldn't find. There might be one store or two stores in New York and LA and a few other spots. And you'd go there and order it. And it would show up like a month or six weeks later. So all of a sudden streaming, and this, I guess illegal downloading even, I noticed more tickets being sold. Interesting. I mean, discovery is that that is the challenge of the people who make music, who sell music. So one thing about the Windish Agency that I remember even 
before you joined Paradigm is that you had a lot of acts. It's like you scaled up even as an indie. What was the thinking behind that? And what do you look for in an artist? I mean, fundamentally, like I, I, I'm looking, I'm listening for music that gives me butterflies or goosebumps or that I just really enjoy that. I like things that are a little bit different than anything I've ever heard before, whatever element, the way the voice sounds, the way the drums sound, the style. And if I hear something that like I like, especially back then, like you'd hear things you like, and there was like an audience you didn't really know how big it was, but you could book it and put up a few shows, see how it did. And then if it went well, like then you do some more. I remember signing in this band, Jaga Jazzist or Yaga Jazzist. Mm-hmm. They were on uh, Ninja Tune. It was like an eight piece Norwegian electronic jazz band. I had never heard anything like it. They were incredible. I had no idea how it was going to go. And we did like three to 500 tickets a night on the first tour in like eight or 10 cities. And the shows were incredible. And everyone said that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a success for us too. You know, selling that number of tickets was really good. I would sign bands or artists that I had never seen before. And I remember back then other agents really looking down on that. I, I would never sign a band I haven't seen. And I did that because I didn't have the financial means to go sign these bands. It didn't make sense for me to fly to Norway first to see Jaga Jazzist to make sure they were good. Because when they toured and they did sell eight cities and three to 500 tickets, that meant we made like 4,000 bucks or something, you know, or 3,000 bucks. You know, if I had flown there and stayed in a hotel, that would have been half the money. Yeah. <laughs> it almost always worked out. There's very few times I can remember where the band wasn't good. And then you flash forward to today, like Billy had never played a show when I signed her. Lord had never played a show when I signed her. So, and I was fine with it. I just thought they make great music. They'll figure it out. I'll do whatever I need to help, but they'll figure it out. And if they don't, then we won't do many more shows, but they did all figure it out. That's so interesting because it's like, that's not how it used to be. It was like you had to pay your dues. You had to start at the clubs and make your way up. And today it's like you can have a giant hit, your first record out, be playing arenas in no time with zero touring experience. I think streaming had a lot to do with everything changing, at least for the kind of people I worked with. Because, I mean, I saw, I remember with Hot Chip, we did one tour. It went well. Streaming kind of took off. That Back then, it was like Pirate Bay or whatever it was. You could practically Google things and find places to like download this stuff. Right. And everybody, like certain people were just doing, they had computers running 24 hours a day just downloading stuff. Right. It was like, uh, it was like getting the keys to FAO Schwartz or something. <laughs> you have whatever you want. But then the next tour they did, like there were a lot more people there. I'd say like good chunk of their fans were doing that stuff. <laughs> right. Probably because they couldn't afford to to buy the music. That was the whole couldn't, thing. Couldn't afford. Right? And, and it's like hard to get your hands on it. Yeah. Hard, to, hard find. to find. Hard to find, of course. Okay. So tell me about when just joined Paradigm. Uh, I was in 2017. Yeah. Something, something like that. What was the thinking behind that? At the time, you had a staff of more than 80 in six cities and over a thousand clients. Clearly things were working. So what did yeah. Paradigm offer? 
I guess what I felt was that the more successful we became and the more successful our artists became, and at the time that meant Lord, the XX, Diplo, Odessa, Flume, the more intense the competition became. It was great when we were under the radar and no one had heard of the bands <laughs> in terms of the competition and the stress. And But like then these artists got more popular and the agencies were all trying to steal them. And they would say no, but then the agency would go back again a month or two or three later. And that went on for years. So that it felt like towards the end, like these people were offering... Uh, their relatives know if they would change i'll give you my 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 house or something and i was like geez what else is going to happen and i was always thinking what this started almost day one when i started windage agency what can we do to provide a better service to the artist i know it sounds like everyone does that but i was the first agency to start a password protected website where you could see how much you were being paid and if we had the deposit and the signed contract and all those things. Very sounds incredibly simple now. We had a tour marketing department, I think before anybody. We had a branding department. These were all things like I was either thinking, what are, what's going to be helpful for the artist? What are they going to appreciate? What's going to help sell more tickets? Or what is everybody else saying they do? And we need to compete with that. We need to like have an answer. We had people that would like help with acting or would meet with our artists and basically ask like, what are your dreams outside of music mm. and then go and try and implement them. And they did very interesting things. And we did that for years. I basically got to a point where I thought it's never going to be enough. I could have 20 people doing these things instead of six and it still wouldn't be enough because it's about, all about perception, not reality. So I need to join one. And the perception is like bigger, bigger, better. We'll get more. From the artist. So I did it. You know, I, I went with ones that were nice people and they, they had all been indies too. They were really cut from the same cloth. Paradigm is or Marty Diamond's company, right. uh, Little Big Man, AM Only, Monterey, C Coda may have come after, I can't remember. And when I would speak with these people, the, the former owners of these agencies, they sort of had the same experience as me in different ways. Hmm. They all started these things like in the second bedroom or in a little garage or whatever. And it grew. And I don't know, there's something about that DNA that makes you feel comfortable. Right. Were you being courted by the other agencies? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, it's nice to be wanted. Did you feel like the way that they sort of sell the artists on like, we'll do this for you and this will happen. We have these whatever tools. I mean, it's interesting because back then, like, I didn't really know. They say that, yeah, they say they have all these things. They say they do all these things. I wasn't really sure, like, which one is telling the truth or which one is the most true. Right. Well, so <laughs> which that's one's really going to do it. This is what the artists go through, right? When CAA yeah. and WME and UTA are all. Yeah. And when they have to choose a label. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. Um, and I guess ultimately it kind of comes down to your gut again, where you feel most comfortable, which was obviously paradigm for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about festivals because we're coming out of this very dark couple of years, which really upended the touring industry. But we're days away from Coachella at this point. Lollapalooza went off without a hitch. What's your view of the return of festivals amid COVID? 
I mean, I went to Lollapalooza last I figured. year. It was great. I went to Austin City Limits. It felt like every other Austin City Limits I went to. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I waited in lines for food. I saw a ton of bands. It was really good. What, how do I feel about it? I mean, I'm, I'm really happy it's back. What was the pandemic like for you as a booking person? It was brutal and horrible in a lot of ways. I, like to see everything you've built and, and, and what you do, I would say booking and live shows, that's the thing that, that makes me tick. That's the thing that excites me. And to not have that, sort of have it swept out from under you. And, and sometimes thinking like, is this ever gonna come back? Just not really knowing, really sucks. Yeah, <laughs> and probably something you've never experienced. Hell no, of course not. Yeah, it was, I mean, sometimes very awful, very stressful. And then also it's our responsibility to guide artists and make them feel like it's going to be okay. It was really brutal in a lot of ways. There were a lot of silver linings, but definitely being able to spend lots of extra time with my son when he was one and two years old was amazing. And I feel just so grateful that I got to do that because Normally I would travel every week or two and go out to a show every other night. And that's what I do now. You're back. (laughs) Um, I'm back. Yeah. I was talking to someone today who was asking me, like, do you think that like we'll do less small trips and not go to as many shows? I said, I'd like to think that would be the case, but I'm going to shows every night now (laughs) and I'm on a plane every week for the next eight weeks. I I feel like it will go back to that, at least for a while. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll say no to some things, but there's an awful lot going on. Yeah. And I'm also happy and grateful that it's going on. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Tom Windish. And we're back with Wasserman Music's Tom Windish. I mean, Billie Eilish's tour was one of those tours that that was impacted. It seemed like she was able to pivot, do a lot of other projects, be available for award shows and things like that. But what were those conversations like about having to postpone a tour for a year, maybe two years, who knows? She might have a new album by then. It could be a completely different cycle. They were repetitive because <laughs> we did it several times. Yeah, and it wasn't just with her, it was with everybody. You'd get to the point where you're moving, moving the thing for like the third or fourth time and it feels like you're beating a dead horse or something and it's i mean it's not great i i've had this feeling the other night i've been feeling really happy to be out at shows there have been moments where i've been overwhelmed with emotion or goosebumps or tears it's actually like quite a beautiful thing to be even it doesn't matter how big the artist is, whether they're playing to 20,000 people or a hundred to be there and just to be so happy that like this amazing musical moments happen. You're in a room with all these people. You realize like, this is why I do it. And this thing that <laughs> the reason I do it, being in the room and experiencing these things and helping to bring this joy to these fans and musicians, like not having that and doing it for two years, like, it was dark. Like it kind of sucks talking about shows that are sort of fictional Yeah, <laughs> might happen. And I'm really glad that the things I'm talking about now are really happening. It's the same for the artists and for the fans mm-hmm. and for the promoters. It's amazing. Like sometimes I go backstage after the show and we're hugging each other and we're all 
like so happy. They have that feeling too. Yeah. And when they're on stage, they get it. It's not just me. When it comes to like rescheduling a tour, like there are many challenges that pop up with that. The availability of venues and what kind of things were you up against when you were moving a major tour two, three, four times? Other people that want the buildings too. And as you push things back further and further into the future, you just run into more and more people that are planning. Everyone's planning a tour and it feels like you're kind of squishing into a time when just everybody wants the same real estate and it's hard to get. And yeah, I mean, we were talking about it before, like how when I first started doing this, artists booked themselves. So they kind of understood <laughs> the routing uh, process and stuff. But most are, almost all artists these days have not done that, at least like at the level that I'm dealing with. I was talking to an artist the other day. It was like they couldn't understand why they had to drive from Washington to Boston. And it was like nine and a half hours or something. And I was like... I know that sucks. It's because of avails. And normally I'm sort of known for booking things very far in advance. And part of the reason for that is to just, you get perfect routing, but that's not really possible these days. I mean, I'm booking shows for next spring and so is everybody else basically and summer and fall. And even the tours that like, let's say got going like the end of 2021, they had to deal with like different state laws about COVID. So the routing really could be funky where it's like, oh, we can't play that venue because they don't require masks or whatever. I mean, were you running up against that too? I didn't run into that so much. It was mostly what's going to be happening with COVID next week. And I just felt like every day, I still sort of feel this way, but definitely like last fall when I had a, a lot of people on tour again, every day you wake up and wondering like, what's going to happen today? Right. Is it going to be okay or not? I will say like this year, there's been an, a very high number of just odd things that have happened that lead to cancellations. Like uh, one of, and they're all like sort of act of God types things. One of my bands, one of my clients, they had their the trailer was stolen with all the equipment. So they can't play the show that day. Some of it's supply chain related also. Right. If something breaks in your van, they can't get the part. That's happening with buses a lot. Yeah, you know, last night, the sound was all messed up at, at a really good club. And I was asking the, the club, the owner or whatever, what's the deal? Like, oh, we've had four different sound people in the last four weeks. And this is like a premier venue, a really good club. The way they can't find a sound person that is like a very good sound person, a lot of sound people went and got another job. So that's also a supply chain issue. That's a supply chain issue. Yeah. And then they also had issues with the equipment and they can't get it fixed because the parts haven't arrived. And then people are getting COVID left and right still. They're sick. They can't play. They're sick. You wake up and just like, what's going to happen today? <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't had any like major issues, but it's really keeping you on your toes. I mean, I remember talking to an agent years ago about like how great it all was. Like Everything's just selling tickets. We work with amazing artists. They're selling tickets. This, I don't see this changing ever. <laughs> Went from that to uh, stressful, <laughs> really stressful. Did you ever question like, oh my God, maybe I didn't, I, I got into the wrong business. I mean, I'll tell you, I had extra time, even though I was booking these tours over and over again. I started a small record label. I have like a label called Wilder and I named after my son that I did with uh, Future Classic. And I put out about 
10 records. Some were singles, one album, a few EPs. That's been really interesting. I manage an artist named Danielle Ponder, who's incredible. I think a lot of people will hear her. I became a partner of School Night, which is a live music showcase in, in LA. And all those things, I did them not to change, like to replace my day job, but to help me understand other aspects of the business a lot better to make me better at my day job. Mm. And it's been remarkable. I feel like I've learned more in the last two years. I, I feel like I've learned a lot. Let's talk about Billie Eilish. You started working with her when she was 14. Tell me what you saw in her back then. The main thing is I was just so lucky that Justin Lubliner, just, I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. He signed her to his label and just reached out to me and said, I'm Justin. I, I have a record label. I, I found this, this young woman. I think she's going to be huge. I really like what you've done with Lord. Just go meet her. And he sent me Ocean Eyes. And I love that song. <sighs> like like everybody who heard that, hears yeah. that song does. It's a great song. It was not rocket science. It wasn't like I was uh, taking a huge gamble. Her first show I set up a so far sounds in my office. She had never played and we didn't want like all these people to go that actually wanted to go see her. We just wanted her to play in front of an audience that didn't know what they were getting, which is so far sounds. Right. That's their whole thing. And she got up there and played and it was great. I think it helped her sort of break the ice. And we went from there. Was it just her and Phineas? Yeah, it must have been like 20, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. She played the ukulele. Oh, wow. And they, they literally sat on the stools that were in our kitchen, these sort of like taller stools, uh, and played to 50 people. So did you envision uh, like the future that she would end up having like as a real groundbreaking artist? an arena filler, festival draw. I mean, she's headlining Coachella. I never really think about it in those ways. I don't know what it is about my mentality. I just get excited by the music. And in the moment, I try and book the best show possible, the best show for them, the right size. It's not always, that doesn't always mean the biggest show, just one that's going to be great that they're really going to like and that the fans are really going to like because those are important and those are great for developing an artist and a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. And I'm always thinking like, what is this show going to lead to? If we sell this out, then we'll go sell that place out and we'll set that place out. But I try not to get too ahead of myself. But I mean, also I like, I knew this thing is going, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a rocket we're holding on. And I think one of the biggest things that I did was like, it really, discourage everyone from going too big, too fast. I said, Billy needs to play in, in the place that fits a thousand people before she plays in front of the place that fits 4,000 people. Even though maybe she could play there, let's let her have that experience in front of a thousand people. It'll be a comfortable experience for her. The fans will be like so excited that they were able to get in. And people second guess that along the way. I don't get these calls like, why isn't she playing here? Why isn't she playing there? Why is she headlining the main stage? The second, why is she headlining the second stage? She should be on the main stage. Like, no, I think it's going to be great when she headlines the second stage. Cause where would we go if we were second or third on the main stage? Hmm. Um, and she'd just be on the main stage every time that second stage is pretty cool. There's been a lot of amazing moments over there and let's have one. Um, I think that worked out. Hmm. It was really cool. Are you talking about a specific festival where she played the second stage? 
Coachella. Oh, Coachella. Okay. So yeah. this will be her, as she headlines, this will be her first time headlining Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not thinking like how many t- other times she's going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I gotcha. <laughs> I haven't thought about the next one yet. You know, I'm looking forward to this one. I was just going to say that it is amazing that she can command an audience that big. I mean, I saw her at the Greek and her some of her songs are very quiet. She's Her voice is not projecting the way a belter, like a pop artist would. I think that's amazing that she can actually, I find this with few artists, but when they do it really well, to be able to capture the attention of a room that big or a festival. The loudest part of her shows is not the sound system, but the, the audience. The screaming, yes, I it's know. It's crazy. I know, it's like when Bad Guy, <laughs> when she sang Bad Guy, it was like, I really could not hear her sing at that point it was just yeah screaming teenage girls but such a fun experience it is super competitive to get that slot at at coachella though right yeah yeah it wasn't just one phone call it was <laughs> a very long time I, I told paul to let that he could write a book about booking coachella this year but i don't think many people would read it maybe i'm wrong but I, it's just like dorks and geeks like Paul and I and people in the weeds that would be really excited about it. Why do you say that? Was it just the, again, the COVID of it all and the switching it up and confirmed, then they're not right. And this and Travis that. Scott and, and then, yeah, but yeah, Kanye, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and the mix of Coachella, it has to be a mix. It used to yeah. be like you'd have that one huge retro or sort of multi-generational artist. But now it's like you have to have hip hop, you have to have pop, and you have to have whatever's cool of the something moment. Something else. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or something. Yeah. Or Latin. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. It it's going to be amazing. Yeah, are you excited? Yeah, I am excited. <laughs> I've got some other bands playing there, too, that I'm excited about. Yeah, who else do you have? I have uh, this woman named Rina Sawayama. right. She is amazing and it is going so well for her. What's her story? She's from the UK. She's kind of a cross between, imagine a Japanese version of Bjork and Lady Gaga. Wow, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Very interesting. And she's playing New York coming up and we sold almost 10,000 tickets really fast. I I love that. Like an artist that almost no one I know has heard of, and then they're selling 10,000 tickets. Yeah. (laughs) That happens. That happens these days. It happens. Yeah. I mean, I book a lot of those artists. You know, Wolfpack is one of those artists. Mm. You know, people say, oh, this band Wolfpack, never heard of them. You know, they just sold out Madison Square Garden. (laughs) 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 Who likes them? Like a lot of people. And then I have this other band called Viagra Boys. They're playing Coachella. They're from Sweden. They're like a punk rock band. And I booked this this tour that they're on. I just had no idea how it was going to do. And the whole thing sold out in a week or something really fast. Uh, and like they're one of those bands that got bigger in the pandemic. And there's not really the data to support it. I don't really follow data very much because I still have a very hard time telling what it means. Mm. And there's bands that they don't stream. They sell a lot of tickets. Mm. There's bands that stream. They don't sell tickets. And then there was also a two year break there where it's just someone just like threw the cards up and we're figuring out (laughs) where things are at now. Let's talk about the transition from Paradigm to Wasserman. I know it got a little chaotic there for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it all worked out, hopefully. What's your view of it? Was it the right thing to do? What happened at the beginning with Paradigm, so it's nothing to do with Wasserman, like Paradigm let go of 
a lot of people from the music department, a lot of agents and staff that were formerly Windish people. So these people that I really worked a long time with and worked hard to build their rosters and who were all great agents. That was devastating. It's like having two thirds of your family kicked out or something and just, and there was nothing I could do about it. So that sucked. It was awful. I mean, I felt really bad and powerless. And then the Wasserman thing, like that was a great thing. We wanted to like join a different entity. When the Paradigm UTA thing happened, I met Casey. I'd heard about him. I'd heard about the grandfather, read the books about him, watched the movie. I, I mean, of, of all the old Hollywood agent manager legends, like, this was the top. His roster was insane. So I met his grandson. <laughs> Cool guy. And then when the Wasserman stuff came, start, came up, I was like, cool. And I feel very good about it. I'm excited about the resources that they have and a lot of the people I've met. And I feel like it's going really well. And Did changing the name almost like give you guys a fresh start? Because I feel like pa Paradigm kind of took a beating those last few years. I, I don't... I feel like I was so focused on my roster and doing things that I don't know. And, and also sort of powerless. If people said things about paradigm, mm. I think a lot of times I didn't even hear it, but also didn't pay much attention to it because there wasn't anything I could do about it. Like I was booking Billie Eilish tours. Mm -hmm. I was booking a whole bunch of other things. No, it was, it, it was really mainly about the leadership and the financials of the agency. I didn't really like know much about that until the pandemic. They definitely weren't walking around talking about it. Right, right. <laughs> they may have right. said, spend less on your travel or something. But I mean, they, I don't spend a lot on travel. <laughs> right. I fly coach most of the time. Oh, my God. So they weren't saying that to me. <laughs> I don't take SUVs to shows. I, I ride a city bike. Uh <laughs> You can never take the indie out of, uh, of Tom Winded. Yeah, I take subways. You you practically have the word indie in your last name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never really thought about that. Yeah, I guess so. What, this is my takeaway from our conversation. You are a risk taker. You take on bands that you don't know if that tour is going to sell well or not. And it seems like connecting with Paradigm was also kind of a risk. And I, I can see why when it came to layoffs, that would have been really difficult for you because you decided to take that step, right? Did those employees find other places to work? Were you able to hire people back at all or? We've hired people back. I mean, the, the agents, the, like the, the formerly Windish agents that they let go have all gone and started independent agencies and and I'm sure they're all going to have the best year they've ever had. And I'm very happy for them. And every agency is going to be trying to buy them, just like they tried to buy my agency. And I think they're all going to find a lot of happiness. I think that they're really psyched. But just like me, they're very psyched that there's shows again. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they can go and experience this stuff that they've been talking about for two years. Yeah. So are we back? Is that it? I mean, I wish I knew. I'm afraid to say. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Who who the heck knows? Um, but I sure hope so. When the pandemic started, everyone was like, oh, yeah, it was going to be two weeks. I remember reading, uh, was it Mark Geiger, who's, who said the industry wouldn't be back until 2022. And I was like, that's crazy. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. All right. Here's hoping for better times and a healthy live industry. It sure feels good now. I, I go to a show almost every night, sometimes two. Yeah. It's feeling great.
That's great. Tom, thanks so much for talking to us and have an amazing time at Coachella. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of Variety's Strictly Business.